0: be sure. Uh, So I feel compelled to try to explain something and this may not be necessary but I'd like to explain it or at least give it a try because someone asked me a question today which is a very fair question and it, it was an honest question but it was a very fair question and so I wondered if maybe some of us have had this question as well. Oh, before I forget, by the way, on the screen, that's my phone number. You're welcome to text me at any time. I really uh, enjoy hearing from you and, and being able to interact with you in that way. Um, but the question, can I can I tell you what the question is? It's, it's this. Uh, people say, Adam, can you say the word Bayshore without singing it? And I really had to think for a minute, and I realized, no, I can't. In fact, I'm I'm so taken by this melody that... At that I will sing it even when I hear other people say it. So someone will say, "Well, Adam, how do you like being at Bay Shore?" Sometimes they'll put the accent on the shore, like that. Did you notice that? I like that. It's like a variation. It's like the, it's like the Upper Peninsula version or something. I don't know what it is, but like it's just a nice variation. And I'll say, "Bay Shore is great," like that. Th- let me tell you why, though. There, there's a writer named Oliver Sacks, and he wrote a book called *Musicophilia*. And he talks about the power of music and how it gets into the deep folds of our brain. I'm really summarizing. But it gets into the deep folds of our brain. And we as people who are aware of the work of the Holy Spirit would say that the Holy Spirit uses music to reach our hearts and our souls. Uh, Oliver Sacks talks about how there's something in our brain that it's almost like music is a tickle to it. Like it goes, oh, I like that. That's fun. And some researchers say that your brain is always singing a song, whether you know it or not. And you're like, I'm not a musician. That's okay. Your brain is. It just didn't make it out to the other parts. But your brain is always singing a song. That's why it feels really good to listen to music, because your brain, that part of your brain that's doing music gets to take a little break. So I'm a musician. At my core, I'm just a music guy. I'm just kind of a, a keyboard player. As a big guy, people said, Adam, do you play football? No. Do you play basketball? No. Well, what do you play? And I'm like, keyboards. Not a lot of friends in school, but there's something about that song, the Bay Shore song, and it's that it's scarce. Not scary, but scarce. If you wanted to hear a song right now by Smash Mouth, like say the hit song, All Star, you could get that song immediately on, our, on your phone. It would take five seconds. If you wanted to hear something by the delightful Led Zeppelin, an ancient hymn by Led Zeppelin, or something by, say, the Moody Blues, that you'd want to listen to on a Tuesday, a Tuesday afternoon. If you wanted to listen to Billy Joel talk about a heart attack, you could have that all. You can even be like, what's that one song that the guy sang about being once, twice, three times a lady? What's that called? It's the Oklahoma theme. That's what it is. Like you know, and you that's that, not right. It's once, twice, three times a lady. You go and you find it on YouTube or you find it on Spotify or you find it on Apple iTunes. Can I tell you what's not on YouTube or Spotify or Apple iTunes? Be sure. So my brain has been waiting for that for 10 years. And so I stand down there yesterday. And he's Dee like, get up here, Adam. And so I come up because I feel like I'm in trouble, but I'm also in trouble because I'm the one that made a big deal out of it. And I just have to stand there, and I couldn't even sing it. I was too busy absorbing it. Not many things bring tears to my eyes, but music will. And it was like, wow, it was awesome. Then tonight we sang the awakening chorus. Another great song. It's such a great song. It's been glued into the back of your hymnals. We are committed to this as a song. No other camp that I've ever been at do we sing the awakening chorus. We sing boring songs like crowning with many crowns, but not the awakening chorus. Not the awakening chorus. That's the only song that uses the phrase that I've heard that sin is backward hurled. Oh, I love that. Sin is backward hurled. I like that. I love that. That's a good way to put it. And that song also has about seven endings. I'm sure you noticed that, Aaron. And poor Aaron is up here, you know, trying to run this circus, and it's just fun to watch because ten years ago I did it and, and they were like, oh, Adam, you're our music evangelist. And I said, yes, I am. I was the music evangelist in 2008. They said, we do this song called the Awakening Chorus. I'm sure you've heard of it. And I said, I'm sure I have. That was a lie. I got here, and it was my job to lead the Awakening Chorus. So I stand up here at the, there's like a podium here or something, and I'm supposed to direct us in the awakening chorus. Fun fact, everyone in the room knows it better than me, and I'm about to sight read it as I direct in front of everyone, which would be like a three-year-old baby walking a bunch of dogs, just being (laughs) dragged around all over the place. And my conducting gesture, which was supposed to show, you know, like n- um, confidence and all that, was instead more of a, oh, I guess we already stopped, so let's just keep going. I hope we sing, th- are we going to sing that again? Are we going to sing it again one more time? Oh, yeah. Tonight? No, no, I- not tonight, not tonight, no, no. Well, we are- we're going to do it one more time? Oh, man, sin is backward hurled. Try to fit that into a song by Beyonce. doesn't work. Somebody already texted in. Led Zeppelin. Love them. Somebody texted in. What's the author's name? Oliver Sacks. Hey, Adam, what are some good verses to read when you're feeling impatient and you're suffering? Uh, Wow. Let's talk about that tonight. And then someone texts in simply.
1: Be sure.
0: Now, Tonight I would like to talk about a very wide subject and trust that the Holy Spirit will lead us. So may I, I know we've prayed many times and as all we should have, but can we just pray one more time and would you join me in that prayer of just seeking the Lord together? Would you bow your heads? and Let's just seek, seek the very presence of God. And what we're doing right now is we're just saying we want to intentionally lead into, lean into what is already here. So we're saying, all right, God, we know you're here. We just need your help to become aware of your presence. So take a moment just to make that your prayer. Just seek the Lord while he may be found. Lord Jesus, we are amazed at your presence tonight. I pray now for my sisters and brothers in this place of worship not that you would show up because we know you're here, but that we would show up to your presence. So may your Holy Spirit give us a special awareness of your work, of your voice, of your breath, of your power. May the rain showers and thunderstorms be soundtracked to your creation and glory. So do as you will. But just know that we're saying right now to you in our hearts, here we are. We desire to do your will. And we love you, Jesus. Amen. What does it mean to be close to God? What does it mean to be aware of God? I think there are three reasons that we we have a hard time drawing near to God. And those three reasons are, number one, we don't know that we can. Like, there are still some of us, even who have been in the church, who have a hard time seeing God as a relational God, who's inviting us to his presence. So so sometimes it's like we don't even know that it's an option to draw close to God and to know him. And we think that the people who are, you know, sort of, especially aware of God's presence are like super spiritual people, like monks and, to a much lesser extent, pastors, or retirees who have time to pray, or, you know, people who, who work from home or people who, you know, drive truck all day so they're able to pray as they drive. Like that's, that sort of like closeness with God is reserved for only certain people. It's more of a personality profile than an actual relationship or it's not available to me. A lot of people just don't know that God invites us to a relationship of such that we're actually aware of his presence every moment. So just to clarify, every single person in this room... God is inviting you to know him in such a way that you would always be aware of his presence. Like always. I'm not just talking about at church. I'm not just talking about in your morning devotions. I'm not just talking about your, you know, your prayer at the table before the meal or anything like that, or even when we're at Bayshore. I'm saying like, God is the God who wants to be part of your every moment. And because he's God and not just a helper and not just a source of wisdom and not just a source of power but he is all of this and more he really wants to be at the center of your life and he really wants you to be more focused on his presence than anything else in the moment my my son my youngest son gets confused because he says dad how could you possibly love god more than you love mom and then he says this he goes but dad especially how could you possibly love god more than you love me and here's his Zacchean logic. That's what we call it. We call it Zaccheean logic. The Zacchaean logic is God doesn't need me to to love him and take care of him, but mom does. God doesn't need me to love and take care of him, but but Zach does. That that's what he's thinking. And so so for Zach, you know, at nine years old, he's he's on the spiritual journey. I mean, I love that. He's already aware that it's possible to sort of rank what kind of what kind of attention you'll give to who on the list and so it bothers him that God doesn't need me and yet I put him first he thinks that's an imbalance because he thinks dad's love if it, should, if it should go anywhere it should certainly go to mom and most definitely go to me is what Zach is thinking and I try to explain no no you see if I love God first if I know God first am I if I'm drawing close to God first and foremost I'm only a better husband and a better dad as a result And as I know God's love, and and more importantly, as I realize God's presence and God's love for me, I'm able to have a genuine love for others that is motivated not by me trying really hard to be a better husband and dad, but motivated by the love and presence of God. That when you, that, that me as a dad, my job is to serve my wife and to serve my kids, but that servanthood is not just a mere bland corporate servanthood. It is a servanthood uh, that is motivated precisely by love and sacrifice and submission. And who's really good at that? Jesus. Who's not really good at that? Me. So I need to be aware of the presence of this rabbi in my life and how he is serving me that I might serve others in the same way. So I'm just telling you, one of the reasons we don't draw near to God is because we just don't know that we can or that it's an option or we think that it's just sort of this day part where we, we draw near to God. 20 minutes in the morning and then before we go to sleep. No, he wants, he wants every moment. And that sounds demanding, and it is. So let's look at it from the other side. You can actually be aware of God's presence in every moment. Love, grace, power, peace, laughter, freedom, joy. He wants every moment. But how do you do that? Another reason that people don't know that we can draw near to God is because they don't know his grace. Now, let's just come out and say it. We have no business entering into the presence of God. How many of us are truly good enough to just waltz into God's presence? There's one. Who is it? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the perfect priest and the perfect sacrifice, and he's the one that can go boldly into the presence of God. And in our faith in Christ, he intercedes for us. He pays for the price of our sin. He paves the way and connects us again with God. He is this bridge. He is this relational glue. He is this this servant, even to the point of carrying us in our death to his new life. You're right. Maybe I don't want to draw close to God because I know who I am, and I know the kind of person I am. And I know what I've done, and I know who God is, and there's no way that I would want to be in his presence. Now, I want to say that's actually a good place to be because at least we recognize that God is holy and we are not. That's, a good, that's an okay place to be. Somebody wrote, one of the reasons they don't draw near, or that we may not draw near, is feeling that he would understand. That he's God and I'm not, but he has no idea what it's like to be Adam. He does. Because Jesus, our great high priest who's gone before us, lived a perfect human life. And the scripture says that he was tempted in every way and yet he did not sin. Which means whatever temptation has overtaken you is one that he was faced with but was not overtaken by. Jesus was victorious over the temptations that I'm not. So Jesus knows what it's like. He knows what it's like because he knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to wonder why his father has forsaken him as he quotes Psalm 22 on the cross. Jesus knows what it's like to endure day after day after day. Does he know what it's like to be Adam? He does. Why? Because he knows me and he knows my thoughts and he knows my heart. So it's true that we can't just sort of bust into God's presence like we own the place and we can't except for Jesus and except for his mercy and grace. Somebody texts that It scares me to draw near to God because I can't always see Him or know confidently that He really exists and loves me. Anybody? Can I just, this is a really simple question. Watch me now. This is important. I'm going to need your eyes for this. I'm going to need your eyes for this, okay? I have a question Do I still exist? It's me, I was here. I just need puppets to finish up the illustration. Indeed, you cannot see him. In fact, the people of the Old Testament were afraid to see God. They knew that if they saw the face of God, they would die. They would vaporize, boom, shakalaka, down to the ground. It's wise to even, to even know that God is, is not necessarily seeable. Because we can't see him, we don't know that he's there. Perhaps we're just looking in the wrong way. And perhaps we're just looking with the wrong eyes. So the first reason is we don't draw near because we don't know that we can. It's an invitation through Christ. Second re- reason is we don't feel like we're good enough because we don't understand God's grace in the way that grace and mercy works. The truth is none of us are good enough. We draw near by faith in Christ. The third reason, and this is the one that's going to get you. I'm just going to warn you right now. I'm not the Holy Spirit, but I'm just saying watch out. The third reason we don't draw near to God is because we don't think it's that important. We just don't. Or, or we see its importance like we do the importance of taking a multivitamin every day, right? I'm glad you're laughing because no one else, they don't, you you get, I love that. We, we, we don't think it's that important to give them any more than what we've decided we should give them. That's probably my biggest challenge. I know that God wants me to draw near to him. I understand that invitation. I also know that I'm not worthy on my own, but through Christ, I am made right with God. My problem is, I don't think it's that important sometimes. So let me tell you what I do as an artist, extrovert, sort of wiggly-minded, all-over-the-place kind of person that really needs some structure. This is what I do. I get up every day at 5 o'clock in the morning, (laughs) and I go down to my cave, which is a room in our basement that is unfinished, and smells like a basement. And the walls are exposed in cinder block and the joists are exposed and have really nice clippy lamps from the hardware store on them. And I have an old artist table that my that my mom had that, that I have now. And it's like a big drafting table. And I sit down and I spend after I've brewed coffee because right. And I sit down and I seek the Lord. And I have a, a preset just a section of scripture that I go through, and I journal. And I have no expectations for anything. I just do it. And I'll sit, and I'll say, all right, Lord, here I am. And I'll read the scripture, and I'll think about it. I'll pray about it. I'll journal, and I don't try to write flowy, beautiful journal things like it's going to be published. I write whatever comes to mind. And I just consider the presence of God. And I sit there, and I look at the I look at the lines between the cinder blocks like that, you know? And I pretend that there's a car that's driving between the cinder blocks. And I take my finger and I run it there. And then I start thinking about Lego and building with Lego. And then I th- start thinking about how Minecraft is now virtual Lego. But you can do so much more in Minecraft than Lego because you can just throw things in place. And I wonder if kids will have a hard time appreciating construction because you can't just build things with an Xbox controller. You actually have to use your hands. And oh, right, Jesus, hi, I'm sorry, I forgot about you. I know you didn't forget about me. Like, seriously... And I don't freak out when I forget. I just get right back on. And I do this every stinking day. Now, I haven't done it here at Bayshore because my basement is three and a half hours away. But I do something like it. I do a variation. When I travel, I I don't do quite the same thing. I can't. And then, and this is just what works for me, I produce a three-minute video every morning and throw it up on Facebook for one or 20 people to watch because I want to give a little devotional thing And what that does for me, because I said I'm going to do this every day, Monday through Friday. I'll have it up by 6.30. Because I know I'm going to do that. I know I have to get up. It's like an accountability thing, because I said I would do it. Because it's super easy. Have you ever had that thing in the morning where your alarm goes off, and your brain is like, let me tell you why we're going to go back to sleep. (laughs) And you don't hear the list because you fell asleep. Like, I know what that is like. We don't think it's important. So can I just give you a couple things that I just felt like the Lord was leading me toward? Let's go to Psalm 16. Because we can draw close to God. And we can draw close, not by our works or merits, but by His grace. And I just want to tell you, it is important. And I also want you to know that I'm aware that in this room there are at least some who are hoping and praying that this week at Bayshore will be a week where they will be able to draw closer to God. I know that because you texted it to me. And so I'm trusting that that God is going to lead us through this we're going to Psalm 16 if you would please we talked about this a couple of days ago I had a conversation I think it was with with Ellen weren't we talking about Psalm 16 you and I at some point no no okay then it was with somebody else uh we were okay you remembered okay okay good somebody says you can say Bayshore without singing it I heard you well I just did it there okay uh-huh. Somebody says, Logos and Rhema. Logos and Rhema. Uh, as Christians today, we need to work on the Rhema. Mm-hmm. Not the noodles. Those That's Raymond. Rhema is like a, a word, but not the word. Anyway, we can't get into that right now, but I get it. I agree. Somebody says, long ago, a friend told me to sit with Jesus with a cup of coffee and talk like I would talk with my best friend. He now is. That's the ticket, my sister, my brother, whoever said that, to actually have that kind of connection and relationship with him. Somebody asked, what is God's mercy and grace? So mercy is not giving us what we deserve, which is basically eternal separation from God. And grace is giving us what we don't deserve, which is closeness and relationship with God. That's basically it. Mercy says, Adam really deserves to die. Adam really deserves, I mean, he's created in the image of God, yes, but he's fallen. And he sinned against his creator. And so now um, he will be separated from his creator because his creator is holy. But mercy says, we're not going to do that but it doesn't leave me in neutral or in some sort of limbo. Grace kicks in, and grace says, all right, here's what we're going to do instead. We're going to give you what you completely don't deserve and what you need the whole time, which is to be one with God through Christ. That's grace. It saved a wretch like me. And sin is backward hurled. You know what I'm saying. That's mercy and grace. Psalm 16. Let me give you some setup. Uh, when I was 10, I came home from school, and I walk in the house, and I walk into the kitchen, come home from school, throw off my backpack, hi mom, and my mom is standing there in the kitchen wearing her sunglasses, prescription sunglasses, which was weird, because it's not sunny in our house, right, and she is trying to make macaroni and cheese, but there's, there's macaroni and cheese all over the place, And she's just acting really weird and slow and kind of garbled. And I noticed that there is an open and almost empty bottle of peppermint schnapps on the counter. And I was like, Mom, are you okay? And she's like, I'm fine. Why are you wearing your sunglasses? Because I can't find my regular glasses. And I realized that my mom was really drunk. Now, I had seen my parents drink. I got that. I got that they did that but I'd never seen it quite like this, especially at like 3.30 in the afternoon on in the middle of the week. So as a 10-year-old boy, I walk my mother to lay down in her bed, get her all covered up and settled. I go in, I start cooking the macaroni and cheese that she just wasn't getting right, and I remember, oh yeah, I've got a four-year-old sister. I should check and make sure that Sarah's okay. I found her, and she was all right. She was in her little bouncer thing. And I start making the macaroni and cheese. My mother walks into the kitchen again, she gets a box of cornflakes and pours it all over the macaroni and cheese. And I was like, what in the world is going on? She lays back down. I start cooking the macaroni and cheese. Dad comes home, and I said to my dad, Mom's really drunk. And I don't remember what happened in the weeks and months after that, but I do remember two things. One, my parents suddenly got divorced. And I remember as a little kid, ten and a half, standing inside my living room, looking out the window as my dad was loading boxes of his stuff into his truck and driving away. I can still see it. It was a 1985 GMC Jimmy 4x4, and it was a Folgers coffee box, like a, like a cardboard box, and it had his stuff in it. He was carrying his stuff out. He's moving out, moving to an apartment. That's the one thing I remember. The other thing I remember is mom said, we need to start going to church, And so my mom called my grandma, my dad's mom, and said, what church should we go to? And my grandma said, there's a church right there in Westland. It's Westland Free Methodist. You should go there, and you should talk to this pastor. And she did. And she came to Christ. And she started going to AA. And she quit drinking, and she kept following Jesus. And she dragged 10-year-old, 11-year-old now Adam, to church. I hated it. Do you remember ever hating church when you were a kid? I'm going to tell you, I... I work there now, but I hated it when I was a kid. I hated it. And the only reason I stuck around is because they let me do Austin's job, which is run sound. They let me run sound when I was 11. Why was I running sound when I was 11? Because I liked to hang out at Radio Shack as a kid. And I loved mixers and microphones and stuff. And that's the only reason I stayed. And I watched my mother grow out of addiction and into Christ-likeness. I watched it happen you guys. She slowly but surely became a completely different person. Not who she was. She was all of a sudden saying really bizarre things like you know that I love you and you know that it's important that that we that we go to church and that we we try to get things right and that we we follow the ways of the Lord. Okay, mom. What? Okay. And then she would say things like Adam, you understand that God loves you, right? And I'm like, "No, what are you talking about? You religious nut?" Like it really scared me. It really did, okay? You have to get into the head, if you grew up in the church, you got to get into the head of people who didn't grow up in the church. It's weird. We have to be aware of this if the church is going to keep growing and accomplishing its mission of making disciples. She'd write me notes in my lunchbox. Adam, I love you and God does too. Oh, I hate it. I threw it right away. It freaked me out. Then when I was 12 or 13, I remember, I don't really have a specific point, but I remember in that era, finally coming to some kind of faith in Christ maybe I didn't fully understand what was going on but I certainly knew that I needed to trust Jesus and that if if he can do that in my mom's life I want that too because I had a testimony in my house I saw the miraculous happen in my living room so by the time I was 13 and a pastor comes to me and they said hey Adam you run sound here all the time what do you think you want to do when you grow up be on the radio you want to you want to work at a work at Radio Shack like that was a good thing I didn't work at Radio Shack because they're all closed but like he he said he said what do you want to do when you grow up I said I think I want to do your job and he goes you want to be a pastor now what he was saying was you want to be a pastor but what Adam heard was you want to be a pastor I said yeah I said what do I do he said you need to get good grades oh shoot (laughs) and you need to go to college. Oh, that's not going to happen either. No one in my family went to college. So I'm growing, growing, growing. As as I'm hanging out at the church more, running sound, I work my way to the front because they need a drummer one Sunday. So one Sunday when I'm like 14, I played the drums on Sunday morning. And it was so good that the pastor got up after the first worship song and said, would you believe that that was Adam's first time playing drums? To which people went, oh, okay, that's why it was so bad, okay, (laughs) oh, and then they needed a bass player, so I started playing bass, then they needed a keyboard player, so I started playing keys, and by the time I was graduating from high school, I thought, oh, I'm going to become an electrician, so I took a job as an electrician, that was dumb, I told you about that a few nights ago, God got me out of that, then I go to college, then in college, I'm studying to be a worship pastor, because that's what I think I'm supposed to be because sin is backward hurled. I love that kind of stuff. I love music, you know? And so I go to school, and at Spring Arbor University, great place, I, um, there was this, there's this thing called chapel band, and I wanted to play in chapel band, because I could have played like four different instruments. I'm like, let me play in chapel band. And they're like, no, you can't. I was frustrated. I didn't think I deserved it, but I'm like, I want to be in that band. Why can't I be in that band? And so I'm sitting in my room in Ormston 3, which is a residence hall at Spring Arbor University. D- did you live in Ormston? you guys lived in 04? Did you as well, sir? Back in the 50s? Well, that building's 700 years old, so that's not, that's not impossible. <laughs> the 1950s? Okay, I'm just, I just wanted to make sure. I just wanted to make sure. I just want you to know, um, a couple days ago, a, a student here at camp walked by me and said, Adam, how old are you, like 50? I'm like, no, I'm 38, why 50? Because the sun's hitting your beard, and it's white. Like, it's a white beard. I'm like, yeah, I know, I'm super old. So it's fine, it's fine, it's okay. So I'm sitting there in my room, and I'm having a prayer time. And I happen to be reading Psalm 16. And I'm furious with the Lord. Not furious, but just like, come on. I've done all this stuff, and now I, I want to do this because I, I, I want to be in this band. I, wanna, I just want to play bass for those or something, please. And this is where he spoke to me. So I'm sharing with you a scripture where i sense the closeness and the presence of god and his awareness or my awareness of his presence and it's this psalm 16:5 lord you alone are my portion and my cup the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places surely i have a delightful inheritance i will praise the lord who counsels me even at night my heart instructs me i keep my eyes always on the lord with him in my right hand i will not be shaken Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices and my body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now, that was written for a time to an audience by David. However, the Lord spoke to me. Lord, you have assigned to me my portion and my cup. Translation? Everything I got is what I'm supposed to got, and that's it. You get what you get, and you don't throw a fit, right? The boundary lines for me have fallen for me in pleasant places, which means, Adam, you really need to appreciate just how much has worked out to get you to this point. This is more pleasant than you realize. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Adam, I'm going to take care of this and of you. Do not doubt me. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. Adam, you need to be aware of my presence and my voice and know it well enough that you recognize when I'm talking to you. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Adam, stop looking at yourself and look at me and hold on. And then the psalmist writes, Therefore, my heart is glad, not bummed out, not frustrated like I was. And my tongue rejoices, and my body will also rest secure. So I wrote a song with this, with this psalm, which is how I have it memorized. It goes, I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is filled with his joy. My mouth will shout out his praises. It sounds better with guitar, but there's no time. But that was the song. I wrote that song. I mean, that's the song that kind of, I mean, the song is written. It's the scripture. These are lyrics already, but I wrote, I wrote music to it. Listen. When you have these moments where you are just honestly frustrated before the Lord and you're seeking his closeness and you're trying to be aware of how it is he's working in your life, be ready for some kind of answer eventually. Just be open to it. Just seek him out and then listen when he answers you. Because when God is on it, he's on it. He's the only one who can say, consider it done and that we can rely on till the end. So the first question that I would ask you is, are you aware of what God has already been doing in your life? Are you aware of how close to you and your situation he's already been? Are you aware of how he has orchestrated and mandated that the universe would go a certain way and take a certain direction so that you would somehow be at Bayshore on a Wednesday night? Are you aware of what he's already been doing? Sometimes we're asking God to move and to work and to be close and for us to be aware of his presence. And he's like, well, first thing I want you to do do is be aware that I've already been working and that I've been with you. And sometimes you don't know what you got till it's gone. And So we look to him and we keep him at our right hand. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. And we're free to just worship and celebrate and say, God, you got this. All of that psalm talks about relationship. You have have this closeness. You have this awareness that God has of our situation. You you have this sense of of how he's, he's at work in ways we cannot imagine. For whatever reason, I was able to draw close to him in that moment and be aware of what he was telling me. Am I aware of what God has already done? Second, turn with me to John chapter 10. Sometimes... We're looking for God in the present and future, and it helps to take inventory of how God has already been close in the past. And something about that just helps us be aware. We all of a sudden see differently how God is moving and working in in ways, almost like he was in in the back seat, or he was next to us, or he was at our right hand, and we didn't even realize it because we were so busy looking at other things. It's so good to look back. Second, in John 10, Jesus is talking to us He calls himself the good shepherd, and he calls you and I his sheep. And he says in John chapter 10, verse 1, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, a door has been opened, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. The second question I would ask is, do you recognize the voice of the shepherd? So if I was sitting in your seats and some guy just said that, I'd be like, okay, well, how do I recognize the voice of the shepherd? The same way that you would recognize any other voice. Time, attention, relationship. And to know that voice so well that you can pick up even on little things that other people might miss. I talked to Emily last night on the phone my wife. I knew how she was doing based on how she said her first sentence. I Facetime with Zach, my 9-year-old, and he said, Dad, is there any chance you could come home tonight? And I'm like, dude, I wish I could. I wish I could, my man. He said, then do it. No, I wish I could. He rec- I recognized his little voice. I could hear in his voice that he was sad. The way to know God's voice is to listen for God's voice. Now, I have never audibly heard God's voice but I know the kind of stuff that he says and I know the kind of stuff that he's done and I know his character a little bit better each day and I know his love and I know that his voice will not tell me to do something outside of what the scripture tells me and I know that his voice is a voice of truth and his voice will often tell me to do the opposite of what my gut is telling me, especially if my gut is telling me to be afraid or if my five senses are picking up that I really shouldn't be trusting God, I really should be pulling back and staying safe, that sometimes there's that voice that says, no, Adam, you need to step forward. And because we've heard that shepherd so many times in our lives, because we've made time to listen to his voice, we recognize that as him. How do you become closer and more aware of God? You simply get to know his voice. This week, I trust that you are getting to know better the voice of the good shepherd. I trust that you're listening for it. I trust that you're not passively just letting time go by until next summer, but that you're leaning in and saying, God, teach me your voice. Because I may not need to hear anything specifically right now and the first day of August, but we have no idea what's coming on October 13th. We have no idea what's going to happen between now and Christmas. We have no idea what's going to happen on February 8th at 3.30 in the afternoon. But the shepherd does... And the shepherd cares deeply about you and your soul and the trajectory of your life and wants so desperately to be there with you in that moment that he will do anything. He will go to great lengths to make sure that you know his voice now so that in the time of trouble, you recognize it. A little over a year ago, me and the boys and Emily, we had somebody over to watch Lexi. We're going out to get into the garage, and we were going to go watch the Lego Batman movie. Have you seen it? It's pretty great. And as we're going to get into the garage... I step down and I go over to my car and the boys go over to the other side and I hear a bunch of empty pop bottles fall because we keep all of our, first of all, we're Michiganders, so we call it PAP. Second of all, we keep all of our empties in the garage and I hear a bunch of them fall. And I'm like, Emily, what, Emily? And I turn around and my wife is laying down on the floor of our garage having a seizure. She lands on the garage floor, but thankfully there's a piece of cardboard and the hose of the shop vac that breaks her fall and protects her head. She falls on, she's never had a seizure before. I've never seen anybody have a seizure before. There's no family history. She has no history. There's never been any indication. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, seizure. And this is what I did. Nothing. I had no categories for this. I'm just looking at her. And I'm thinking about every movie and every TV show I've ever seen where this happens, and I'm like, do I put a wallet in her? Like, I didn't know what to do. Do I protect her tongue? I didn't know. She's having a seizure, like a long seizure. And so this is what I did. This was my prayer. It was out loud. Jesus, what do I do? And that was when a voice said, call 911. Amen. Boop, boop, boop. I call 911. They come over, they give her some O2, they put her in the wagon, they drive her down. She's okay. By the way, you know what it's from? Not getting enough sleep. Seriously, about once a month, our general practitioner said that he will have a college student or a hardworking person or whatever just suddenly have a seizure out of nowhere. It's from not getting the right amount of sleep because they're too busy. Moral of the story, get enough sleep, Emily would say, but also, man, I'm so thankful that I had some presence of mind to seek the Lord. Now, obviously, that was the logical thing to do, but for whatever reason, I needed somebody to tell me that, and he did. How do I recognize God's voice? I listen to him again and again and again. And then, third, one more question I have to ask you. Turn with me to Luke chapter 14. That's a great question. Somebody texts in, how do we know God doesn't tell us anything new that isn't already in Scripture? So we need to be really careful with the phrase God told me, okay? That phrase God told me is um, occasionally true and often abused, okay? Not always. I'm, not, I'm just talking like sometimes one, sometimes the other. is why we need the discernment of the Holy Spirit. But when you say to somebody, God told me, you are in essence giving that message almost the same way as Scripture, be very very careful with that and share that kind of thing in accountability with community and maybe god didn't tell you maybe you have an impression as dallas willard would call it and maybe you need to explore that impression in the context of other believers before you go telling somebody god told you something because you may have the gift of prophecy but you got to be careful also, God will not tell you to do something that his scripture would tell you not to do. So Sometimes when people are suicidal, which is a thing and is likely a thing even in this room for somebody, some of us are affected by this somehow, there will be this idea that God told me I should end my life. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. This is why we need community. This is why we need to listen together. This is why we need each other. Turn to the person next to you and say, I need you. We could say more about that, but let's get to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. If I want to be more aware of God's presence and closer to him, one, am I taking time to be aware of how he's already been close and at work in my life? That's important. Two, do I recognize his voice over all the other noise and scattershot around me? But then three, here's the real question in Luke fourteen twenty-five do I really want to be close to God? And that aligns with what I find to be the biggest obstacle for me. Do I really want to be close and aware of God? Because here's the risk. Luke 14, 25. Large crowds. Say large crowds. So a Bayshore-sized crowd is following Jesus, traveling with Jesus, which means they are committed to this rabbi in some sense. They want to be around him. They'll even forsake their day and their schedule to be around him. And this large crowd is following, and Jesus turns to them and addresses the crowd, and he says, listen, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Which, by the way, aligns with that whole thing of, like, I love the Lord. I put the Lord number one, and then my wife, and then my kids. That's, that's what he's talking about. He's saying, I really have to be number one. Verse 27, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple, So there is no discipleship where you don't have to carry a cross. There is no discipleship where someone else can carry it for you and it's your cross to carry. There is no discipleship where you can have a piece of the cross in your pocket and call it good. And to carry the cross, you're going to need to be on your hands and knees for this. And it's not just from here to here. It's from here to the rest of your days. Verse 28, Jesus says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, ha, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he sends a delegation while the others are a long way off, and he asks for terms of peace. That's just like wisdom and logic, isn't it? And Jesus says in verse 33, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So I just got to ask the question, because I need someone to ask me this question too. Do I really want to be close to this guy? Because it sounds like he actually expects a lot of me. Because what I want is a God that I can go to in the rough times so that he can carry me through until the next rough time. I heard a very sort of sad... No, I think it's just a true statement. Tell me what you think. We are either coming out of a crisis, in the middle of a crisis, or on our way to a crisis. We're either just coming out of one, or we're in the middle of one, or we're headed to another one. Maybe I need to change the order of that, but do you see what I'm saying? Like, there's always going to be a time where we, need, where we need him in those troubled times. He's not, he's, that's not how he rolls. He's not a pinata. He's not a magic fairy in the sky. He's not Santa. He's relational. And, and more than that, he's Lord. And for him to truly be Lord means that I have to, like, put all my stuff down, carry the cross, and follow him. Do you really want to be close to him? Because sometimes you'll be so close that you'll find yourself outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. I was kind of wondering, you know, Paul talks about that door being opened and he really talks in the, the memory verse that we've been looking at every day. He really talks about it as if, you know, he doesn't say I opened the door or they opened the door. He really talks about it as if God himself opened the door. As if God is close to him and then guiding him from place to place to place to place. So the question that I'm asking the text is, all right, how did, what made Paul think that it was God in his closeness that did that? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Same chapter, or same book rather, just a little bit earlier. 1 Corinthians 2. I want to be close. I want to be aware of God's presence. First Corinthians, Chapter two. Hmm, It's taking me a long time to find it, too. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Paul says, We speak a message of wisdom among the, uh, among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, listen for the mystery and the hiddenness of God. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Don't you think that that God would want to be close to you as he unveils these things? And Paul goes on, verse 10, These are the things that God has revealed to us by who? By his Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Now let's talk about this Spirit and intimacy and closeness. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Paul says we have the mind of Christ this is the intimacy and the closeness and the awareness that you crave it's not by your works it's by your faith in Christ who pours out his spirit and then starts revealing stuff left and right that you couldn't have possibly known without that spirit's help so what I my the only thing I can do in that and in being close and aware to God is really just opening myself up completely to that so I got to put down the ridiculous idea that God hasn't been around he's been at my right hand I've got to put down the other voices that are crawling around in my head and just listen for the voice of the shepherd. And then the third thing is I've got to make sure that this is actually what I want and that I'm ready to lay down my stuff so I can follow Jesus. So if that's you, these next moments will be healing because the worship team is going to come, but they're not going to just start playing. They're going to kind of come and get into place, but I'm going to give you the gift of time. The ice cream, they don't even have it out yet, all right? So I want you to do me a favor and suspend your, your anxiety and anticipation for the next thing for one simple spiritual reason. I want to give you the luxury of silence and solitude together in the presence of the Lord. I'll watch the clock. You just seek him, and then we'll just slip into a song of response. You respond however you are led, to stand, to sit, to kneel, whatever. Right now, we're going to simply practice the presence of God. But this takes intention. This does not happen on its own. So I want you to change the way you're sitting. Just change your posture somehow. Just change, shift, do something to kind of wake yourself up. Now, our minds move very quickly, which is why we're doing an analysis of, of, okay, what am I going to do in this moment? Our souls move really slowly. Our bodies do whatever we tell them. So you may find... That taking a posture of worship will be helpful. You may find that if you open your hands, if you reach up, if you close your eyes, if you lift up your eyes, if you look to the ceiling, which of course is not what we're looking at, but the very presence of God. If you fall to your knees, if you lay down on the floor, whatever it is, take some kind of posture of just openness to the Lord and then let him help you become aware of his presence. It's not that we have to summon the presence of God and be like, let's just hope he shows up. Let's sing good enough so he shows up. That's not how this works. No, it's just about becoming aware of his presence. Will you covenant with me in these next few minutes just to be aware of his presence and to let him do that? Will you surrender control? All in favor, say aye. Okay, let's take a moment. You take a moment in silence and seek the Lord while he may be found.
1: down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus, the greatness of his mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. And we cry home. Oh.
0: spirit you are welcome here we invite you to speak to us as you will we invite your fullness more than that we crave it we're hungry for it we long for it of all the things that we need in this moment what we need most is you help us to be aware of your presence there's nothing better there's nothing greater there's nothing worth more let your spirit fall find us faithful